sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Okay, grab your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 5. The book of Luke chapter 5. Before we jump into the word, I have uh, a word of encouragement for you that I think will just help set the table and launch us into what the Lord has for us today out of the fifth chapter of the book of Luke. And that is very quickly, very simply, number one, I want to encourage all of you guys today to make the choice to continue to be a life giver. Make the choice, make the commitment, purpose in your heart to continue to be a life giver, to be someone through whom the life of God, the strength of God, the goodness of God can flow through. You know, this week I shared this with my staff. I said, if there's ever a time in history when people need the church to be the church, and when we need each other to be voices of encouragement, not voices of despair, when we need voices of comfort, not voices of accusation, it's now, you guys. It is now. And so earlier this week, I just began reaching out to some of my pastor friends across the country, just checking in and checking up. Hey, how are you? I had several of my friends text back and go, Jade, you have no idea what this means. Just getting a text from you right now. This has been one of the most difficult weeks. And for another friend of mine, he said, this has been one of the most difficult seasons of my life. He says, I have contemplated not only quitting the church, but quitting my marriage. He goes, I am going through some of the most trying situations. And so I just reached out and I was like, hey, how are you doing? And when he began to like pour out his heart, I was like, bro, let's just, let's just do a five minute Zoom call. Five minutes turned into about an hour and a half and we reconnected. We we're able to strengthen each other, encourage each other, pray for one another. I'm telling you guys, God has set you in a circle of relationships. He has set you in the neighborhoods that you are in right now for a reason. There are people that you know. There are coffee shops that you love to frequent. They know you. You know them. Man, be a life giver. The school that you go to, the place of vocation that you're working in right now, it's not not an accident. It's not a coincidence. You are where you are. Choose to be a planted vessel of the goodness of God. Choose to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth where you are right now. And I'm telling you guys, it takes a choice. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. I mean, I'm telling you, almost every Sunday morning I crawl out of bed. And I know, I know, I know. You guys think, man, pastor just springs out of bed with a glow on his face. No, absolutely not. Man, most Sundays I'm like, I'm tired And I'm dreading and I'm like, oh my God, do I have anything to give? Yes, I prayed. Yes, I prepared. But I'm telling you, I make the choice. I make the choice. I speak to my soul. I speak to my will. And I say, God, today, I believe that you have planted me and placed me in this people because there is something that you have for me to give. Guys, choose to be givers. My brother-in-law said this to me months ago. He says, Jay, there's two kinds of people. What are they, Todd? Takers and givers. 
He forgot, but it was so powerful that God has called me in his life to remind him, to give back to him what he gave to me. God's two kinds of people, takers and givers. And I want to charge you today, choose to be a giver. Text messages, gifts, cards, phone calls, visits. All right. Don't be passive. Don't be passive. You know, you know what I mean when I say passive? It's like when you're sitting back and you're like, I'm just going to wait for him to text me. I mean, how come no one called me? How come no one invited me over? Right? Dude, you, you got a phone. You got, a, you got an index finger. Right? You got two thumbs. Huh? You got an email account. Like, be active. Be proactive, church. The church of Jesus is a proactive people. Right? Life does not happen just by being passive. Opportunities don't happen just by being passive. Be proactive. Somebody in this church, somebody in your neighborhood needs a word that you have for them. And even if it's not just a word, maybe they just need you sitting down and listening to them and caring for them and taking empathy and praying for them and being someone who cares enough to be attentive to what they're going through. The second word I have for you guys is this, is stay connected. Guys, stay connected. All right, there are people that are new. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. There are new people that are coming into our church. Like, how? Like, why? <laughs> it's incredible. I'm totally being facetious there. But there are new people that are coming in. And it's amazing because there is this hunger for authentic community and connection. And we've been spoiled. We've been spoiled, guys, in the past. And now there are things where we have to make intentional decisions. It will not just happen by itself. So you guys, whether it's this week, if you have bandwidth this week, maybe you can't do it this week, but purpose in your heart to use whatever is at your disposal to connect with others. All right? Okay, and here's why. Here's why. Because God has created every single one of you and me to be ministers. He's created us to be vessels and conduits where the life of God can flow through us. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And yes, there will be seasons in our life when we feel like we're empty, when we're dry, when we have nothing to give. Pastor, you're telling me to be a life giver. I have nothing to give. I know, I understand that. That's when we take what we don't have and we bring it to God. God, here's what I don't have. And he says, I, he says give it to me. Give me what you don't have. I don't have enough time. Give me the little time that you have. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough uh, of high, high, high attitude. I don't have that. He says, give me what you have. Give me what you have. Make the little steps. Make the little steps. And don't allow what you don't have to become an excuse for doing what you can do and giving what you can give. Because here's what happens. It's just a law in the kingdom that when you choose to give, even though it's small, God will increase your measure. You'll find yourself going, I don't, know, I don't know how I have more energy because you're imparting energy into the people that are around you. I don't know how I have a greater attitude because you are investing a greater attitude. I feel more encouraged. You are imparting encouragement and life to the people that are around you. Okay, Luke chapter five. Turn with me there in your Bibles in Luke chapter five, beginning in verse one. I wanna share with you guys this morning about five things I believe that every follower, every minister of God needs to receive on a regular basis from Jesus. Jesus, when he sent his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, we've preached about this for years, that ministry is nothing more 
than us giving freely that which has been given to us. That's what ministry is, that we receive the grace and the goodness of God, and then we turn around and we give it to our neighbor, our family member, our stranger. We give it to the people that are around us, which means that it's absolutely critical that we have rhythms and habits whereby we are regularly receiving from God. This message actually was born out of me speaking to this weekend, there was a conference for pregnancy center directors, staff members, and board members. Four different states, 25 different centers, over 110 people gathered over the past two days. And I had the incredible opportunity to share with them. This is a message I shared last night to just encourage all of these. These guys are on the front lines. These guys are standing literally between life and death with a lot of these young ladies. And so I shared with them, guys, as ministers, it is critical that we are receiving from God on a regular basis. Okay, are you ready? Number one, Jesus is starting his ministry. And right here in this story from verses one through 11, Jesus goes out and he finds Peter. Peter's been fishing all night long and he's discouraged because he's a pretty good fisherman, man. He's got experience. He's been doing this most of his life. And then Peter, he ste- or Peter, or Jesus steps into Peter's boat. And this is what he tells to Peter. He says, Peter, I want you just to move your boat a little out from the shore. Doesn't give him some amazing command. Doesn't say, Peter, I want you to preach in front of thousands. Peter, I want you to lead the church into the new apostolic age. He doesn't say that. He says, Peter, I just want you to just move the boat. Simple, easy. Just, just do the little things. Peter's discouraged. Peter's frustrated. He's like, listen, dude, I've been doing this thing all my life. I've been fishing all night long and I've not been fruitful. But then he says this, and this right here is the linchpin. He says, but, but, but nevertheless, because you tell me to do it, I'm going to do this. And so he does the same thing he's been doing all along, but just with a little bit of divine insight and a little bit of divine revelation by some divine prompting, Peter does the same thing on the other side. And there's such a harvest that he's got to call his network of buddies that he's been remaining in connection with, that he has been proactively building and saying, guys, fruitfulness of harvest and ministry has come upon me. Come and help me with this harvest. And then he has this striking revelation. Oh my God, I am a wicked and sinful man. There is no reason why you should be blessing me like this. So then he tells Jesus, get away from me. I can't have you in my presence. And Jesus is saying, oh man, you have no idea. I'm about to change your life by all means. Lead the way. And so Jesus says, I'm going to make you, Peter, a fisher of men. I'm going to make you someone who cares about the world that's around you. And the first thing I want to share with you guys this morning that I think that we need to receive on a regular basis is we need to receive the calling and the invitation of the Lord on a regular basis. See, some of us, we know we can go back to the day where we gave our life to Jesus. And we can, some of us can go back to the day when maybe you were called into a certain vocational track and you go, I remember the day when God called me. But I think that as we experience life and as we experience new challenges, new setbacks, new obstacles, when we touch discouragement and disheartenment, we need God to call us again. You know, this story is really important for me because as a high schooler, I was a really good idol worshiper And I worshiped basketball. You guys, I was up 4, 5, 6 a.m. in the morning on school days. I would go, I would practice. My poor neighbors, we had a basketball goal. 
And literally, 5 a.m. in the morning, it's hours. Go to school, practice at school, practice after school, come home, eat dinner, finish homework, and from 7 to 9 on weekends, from 7 to 11, it was I mean, it was endless. And I remember the Lord encountered me the summer between. I was, I was, I was already on varsity. I was going to play against the team that was coached by my previous coach. And I was starting on varsity. And midway through the year, the Lord said, son, I want you to lay this down. It's occupying too much space in your life again. I'll never forget, I went to the coach's office right before practice. I had my uh, uniform all folded up and I slid across his desk. He says, what are you doing? I said, I feel like the Lord has called me to step down from the team. And he says, okay. He goes, well, when you change your mind, <laughs> he goes, you, your, your spot is still here. And I just looked at him and I said, I said, I don't think the Lord is gonna allow me to change my mind, coach. And so he walks out to go coach practice and I walk into the bathroom and I am a wreck. I am bawling. And I open up my little school backpack and I pull out my Bible and I said, God, I need to know that I heard from you. I need you to call me again. And I opened up my Bible to Luke chapter five, verse 11. And here's what Luke chapter five, verse 11 says, then they left everything and they followed him. And that's all I needed. I was like, okay, Lord, I hear you. And I stepped down from the team and I started, a, I started a Bible study on my campus that grew to about 100 students my senior year of high school. You know, when I went to OU in 1996, many of you have heard this story, but I was in Indonesia. The Muslim call to prayer was going, was going off at 9 a.m. I was seeking the Lord. And all across the city, you just hear these, this Muslim call to prayer. And God spoke to me and he said, son, I don't just love the United States of America. I love every people group on this planet. And God was calling me again. And all throughout my life, there have been seasons and junctures where the Lord has called me afresh and anew. You guys, many of you know this because you've walked with me through this. But four years ago, from the summer of 2016 to the summer of 2017, God was doing some new things in me, Jonathan, Christy, the staff here. And he was just leading us into new theological exploration and how that was going to flesh out in our services and our lives. And there were a lot of people that didn't understand that. And there were a lot of people that decided that they couldn't move on with us in that part of the journey. There were friends of ours, you guys, that we've invested years, years of intimacy at our table, years of friendship, people that have lived in our home with us, people that we've supported their ministry. Some of those guys left without saying a word. Some left with a text message or an email. And you guys, it was devastating for that year, the June of 16 to June of 17. Man, my heart was split open. And on a daily basis, it felt like sometimes. Christy and I would come home, we'd get a new email, a new phone call, and we would just cry. We would just weep. And we would just say, God, we don't know if we're cut out for this anymore. We didn't, I don't know if I signed up for this. I didn't know what I signed up for, but I didn't think I signed up for this. And I remember at, at a critical moment of that season, I said, God, I need you to call me again. Like I remembered when I came here in 2004 and you called me, but I need you to call me afresh for this season. I've not been mantled for this disappointment. I've not been resourced for this kind of grief. I need you to call me again. You guys remember that story when the disciples are in the boat and they're rowing against the wind. They're struggling. And Jesus comes trotting along on the top of the waves. Hey guys, I mean, just Jesus, right? He's just trotting along on the waves. And Peter is like, Jesus, if that's you, call me. 
Call me into the impossible. Call me out into the deep. Call me into the unknown. Call me into territory that is uncertain and unfamiliar. And Jesus says, Peter, come. And Peter responds. And for a split second, he's doing the impossible. We need to hear and receive and respond to the calling of the Lord on a regular basis. Because listen, Chris Lockett, God has called you where you're at, brother. He's called you. Man, every one of those patients that comes in, bro, you're their pastor. You're their pastor. You're called into ministry in this community. You're called. Haley, when you sit there and people come in and they're nervous and they're unsure and they're uncertain and you're steadying voice and you're steadying presence, every single one of you in the spaces that you're called to inhabit, God is with you and respond to that. Number two, the next story here, one of my favorites in the scripture. You're going to hear me saying that a lot because there are a lot of favorites in Luke chapter five. But there's a leper and he comes to Jesus. And you know the story. He approaches Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And one of the things I have found, by the way, every one of these five things that I'm sharing with you today, I have found myself throughout my ministry life crying out to the Lord, God, call me again. This leper comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And the second thing I believe that we need Jesus to do for us on a regular basis is cleanse us. We need Jesus to wash us. I found myself saying this throughout my ministry career, Jesus, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to cleanse my mind. My mind is being riddled right now. It's being assaulted. My mind is being taken over with just ugly, ugly thoughts. That could be bitterness. It could be grief. It could be anger. It could be lust. It could be pride. I need God to cleanse my mind and my imagination. Some of us, when we think about the future, we don't have a bright thought about the future. We need God to cleanse our imagination and our prophetic vision for the future. Some of us, when we think about our past and we replay those memories of things we've done or things that were done to us, friend, I want you to know that God wants to cleanse those stains and those scars from your memories, from your emotions. Sometimes, you know, when we hear that we need God to wash us, sometimes we may think, I'm not involved in any grotesque sin in my life. Listen, dirtiness and pollution and the yuckiness of the world is just all around us, right? Sometimes I spend like five minutes on Facebook and I'm like, I need a bath. I need a bath, right? How many of you guys have ever seen a movie or listened to a song and you're like, oh, I just feel dirty right now. I feel dirty in my mind, right? God, wash me, cleanse me. Some of you guys, we're not talking about just the world. Some of you guys, when we hang out with other Christians and they're just complaining or they're just slandering or they're talking about other people or it's just rumors and gossip or it's just negativity, we need to be cleansed from that. Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can cleanse my motives. Guys, I found myself at times saying, God, I need you to cleanse my motives. I don't know if I'm motivated by the right thing. I don't know if the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is pure. But I'm asking you today, give me clean hands and a pure heart. The reason why I speak, the reason why I meet with people, what's going on in my heart and my mind when I'm sitting down with someone, God, cleanse me, wash me. And here's what Jesus says to him. I am willing. And he reaches out and he touches this man and he says, be clean. Guys, as ministers, we need the washing of the Lord. 
Because remember, whatever is inside of you is what you're giving away, right? And if your motives are misaligned, if there's bitterness and if there's anger and if there's resentment or if there's pride inside of you, guys, that is, that is leaking out of you, yeah. right? If you need your ministry, if you need that, if there's something inside of you that your identity and your worth is attached to that, there is not clean water coming out of your vessel. God, wash me, cleanse me. All right, third thing, Jesus goes from here and in Luke chapter five, verse 17, there's a story of a group of men that bring one of their friends to Jesus beginning, I believe in verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there And they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So some men came carrying a paralyzed man. The thing that I love about this, this is a whole separate point, is that this man needed the community to be healed. This man, there are times in our lives, sometimes we need other people to carry us. You ever been there before? Like, I don't have faith for myself. I have become immobilized. I want to give up. There's this incredible scene in Braveheart, for those of you guys who have seen Braveheart. And William Wallace is pursuing an enemy from the opposite army, not knowing that the particular enemy that he's pursuing is actually someone he was befriending as his closest friend. It was the the current leader of Scotland, Robert the Bruce. And when William Wallace takes his helmet off, there's this scene where William just, he's, he's, he's fought this entire battle He's been trying to mobilize and galvanize all the armies of Scotland. And when he realized that the king of Scotland has betrayed me to our enemy, he just lays down. He just lays down. And then there's a scene where his two most trusted warriors come on their horses and they pick him up. I mean, William Wallace is the fiercest warrior that's portrayed in this movie. And he needs people around him to pick him up and carry him. So these men carry their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And what's the first thing that Jesus says to this man? Anybody know? He looks at him and he doesn't say be healed. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 20, to which we all go, Jesus, we know you're the son of God and all, but can't you see the obvious? He can't walk. We've had to cut a hole in this roof and lower him down. And Jesus says, I know what's really going on. I know the reason why he can't walk. I know the root of his paralysis. You ever been in a season of life where you felt like you've just been in a rut? It's like, no matter what I do, the heavens are brass. No matter what I give myself to, it doesn't succeed. I feel like I'm just taking one hit after another. Internally in my heart, I'm so discouraged. And Jesus knows the areas of our life where we need to be healed. And the third thing that we as leaders and we as ministers and we as followers of Jesus, sons and daughters who have committed to this way, this way of giving life to the people around us, guys, we need to be healed on a regular basis. Now, I know some of you think, and I love this, I know some of you think that pastors and ministry leaders are probably the most healed people and the most whole people on the planet. I know some of you think that. Guys, it's just not true. I mean, if you look at statistics, you'll find that pastors are some of the loneliest people. They're some of the most depressed people. There is a latest uh, research study that I had heard a couple of weeks ago that only about, let me say this, um, 
70% of pastors or more do not have a close friend. Do not have someone they feel like they could bear their heart with, share their secrets with. There are untold numbers of pastors that contemplate uh, ending their life. We're starting to see that become more of a trend now. We're starting to see pastors struggling and dealing with mental health and depression than ever before. And the point I'm trying to make to you guys, this is not just a pastor gig. This is, this is every single one of us. The point I'm making is, guys, unless we're receiving healing from God, giving, like, giving out will drain us and it will burn us up and it will break us down. And if we choose to live this Christian life in a manner where we are interfacing and we are, we are life givers, if we're not receiving healing from God, guys, I'm here to tell you that what we have to give to others will not be pure. It will not be whole. And I wanna contend with you guys today. I wanna contend with you, God, search the deepest parts of my heart that need healing. Like I'm talking the things that we've just tucked away and we've assumed because I'm doing better that I am better. We've assumed that because I've, I've learned to manage this limp, that I've actually been healed and whole and I'm restored in this area of my life. Just because it's not bothering me like it used to. I had a friend actually this week share some very, very intimate details of his life. And then he said this, he goes, you know, but I've, I've learned to manage. He goes, but you know, then again, he goes, at some point in my life, this may all come catching up with me. And that's the truth. And if we don't deal with the disappointment, if we don't deal with the neglect, if we don't deal with the abandonment, if we don't deal with the abuse, if we don't bring that to the Lord and say, God, my life is paralyzed because internally I am broken and you're the only one who can heal me. Guys, I'm telling you at some point, it will catch up with you at always the most inopportune time. We need healing. We need healing on a regular basis. I, I pray this to the Lord, God, heal me. It's become one of my favorite prayers, actually. Heal me, heal my emotions. I'm, I'm afraid right now. I need you to heal me. I'm insecure right now. I'm full of doubt right now. God, I need you to heal me. God, I'm angry right now. I'm, I'm vindictive right now. I need you to heal me. God, heal me. Your emotions are an alarm system of what is broken inside of you. When, you're, when your emotions are out of whack, it's to point you to what is not whole inside of you. If you're explosive, it's because something is broken inside of you. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're disheartened. Maybe you've thrown in the towel of hope. That needs to be healed, friend. Maybe you're extremely judgmental. Maybe you walk into an environment and you're always misinterpreting what everyone else is doing. Something broken inside of you needs to be healed and it can be healed. And I'm appealing to you today, guys, adopt this prayer. Jesus, heal me, heal me. Oftentimes I'll say, Jesus, you know things that are inside of me that need to be healed that I don't even know that need to be healed. Heal me today. All right, the fourth thing. Jesus goes from here. By the way, he heals the man. He doesn't just forgive him of his sins because those, those darn Pharisees start talking again. They're like, who is he? He thinks he has the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus goes, which do you think is easier, Right? To heal this man of his sins or, for, or to, to forgive this man of his sins or to heal him of his paralysis. And he goes, so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins, I'm gonna also heal him. So then he moves on and then he finds a guy by the name of Levi. Some translations and some gospel writers call him Matthew. In verse 27, Jesus finds Matthew. What do we know about Matthew? Matthew's a tax collector. And what do we know about tax collectors? 
They are despised in the Jewish community. They are the most marginalized group of people in the Jewish community. And here's why. Because they are willfully and intentionally taking advantage of a people who are oppressed. Tax collectors are Jewish citizens that are aligning themselves with Roman power in order to tax their own people for sometimes up to four times more than what is demanded of them. I mean, could you imagine that? Your own brother, your own sister, your own citizen aligning themselves with a foreign power and then using that power to oppress you. They were despised. And Jesus knew it. And he says, I want you on my team. I want to transform your life. I want to take the most marginalized of society, the most despised and hated of society, and I want to bring you onto my team. I want to transform your life, and I want to turn you into a ministering vessel. So then Levi, Matthew, out of gratitude, he opens up his house. He's got tons of money, so he throws this massive banquet. Interestingly enough, no one else is there but other tax collectors. Why? Because he has no other friends. He's got to stick with the other people that are hated and despised too. But somehow those Pharisees find themselves on the guest list. They're always finding themselves on the guest list in the most, just the most audacious places. Here are those Pharisees. So here's what the Pharisees start doing. They start asking these questions. And here's what they say. Why is he eating with sinners? Why are we having this dinner right now? We should be having this feast for the religious people. We should, be have, we should be spending this money on people who deserve it. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus stands up. He knows what they're saying. And he says, guys, listen, who needs a doctor? Chris, is it the healthy people who need a doctor? Or is it the sick? So Jesus says, it's the sick who need a doctor. And you know what he does right there in that moment? He covers Levi. He covers him. He shields him. He defends him. Because imagine how insecure Levi must be that now someone who's been hated and despised and rejected, he's now, he's now brought into followership with Jesus. He is completely out of his element. And now he's being accused. His motives are being accused. His heart is being misinterpreted and accused. And that happens to us all the time, doesn't it? Listen, I'm just here to tell you today, guys, if you choose to minister, if you choose to be a follower of Christ that enters into the fray, if you choose to be someone who tries to represent with the right heart and the right motive, the perspective of God, if you choose to be a leader, your motives will be misinterpreted all the time, all the time. I mean, I'm here to tell you right now, like there are people that felt like, hey, you should have never closed your doors. There are people who feel like right now we should not have our doors open. It's like no matter what decision a leader chooses, it's not right, right? Because you're condemned if you do this and you're condemned if you do that. And then people start trying to judge your intentions and they start trying to interpret your motives for you. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus stands up and he covers Levi. So John preached on this a few weeks ago that we as believers taking our cue from Jesus, who is a master at covering the vulnerable and the weak. We find in John chapter eight, there is a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. She is scorned, thrown out right there in the dirt. Her accusers are right there in front of you. And now she's, be she's become a spectacle. They're just trying to make an example out of her. Think about that. Think about that. Think about what kind of person it must be that wants to take somebody in their brokenness and just make an example out of them so they can inflate their own self-righteousness. 
And what does Jesus do? He turns all the attention off of this lady, puts it on himself. He says, stand behind me, I'm gonna cover you. We see another story in Luke chapter seven. You guys remember this story? There's another lady. Gosh, what is it about the ladies that are broken that feel safe with Jesus? Think about that. They've been taken advantage of, they've been abused, they've been mistreated, and yet, mostly by men, mostly by male-dominated systems, and yet, mostly by religious leaders, Jesus was both. And what was it that these ladies felt safe with their weakness with Jesus? Not an ounce of perversion, not an ounce inside of him that says, I'm gonna take advantage of you. They felt utterly and completely safe in the presence of this man who represented God. And the scriptures say that this Pharisee in Luke chapter seven was throwing a party and Jesus was invited. He was one of the guests of many. And Jesus comes into this room and somehow, some way, and the scriptures say there is a woman that the entire community knew how sinful she was. And yet she puts that aside. She knows that she's in the presence of Jesus and all she wants to do is worship him. And so the scriptures tell us that she bows down at his feet. She weeps over his feet. She anoints his feet with perfume and she dries his feet with her own hair. And then the Pharisee begins to think to himself, he goes, man, if Jesus really knew. In fact, this is what he says. If Jesus were really a prophet, he would know how dirty this woman is. And here's what Jesus does. God doesn't say it out loud. God just thinks it in his head. And Jesus knows. And right there when this Pharisee's thinking this, Jesus turns to one of his disciples and says, Simon, I have a story for you. Yes, teacher. He goes, there's two people. Both of them owe debts. One owns 50, one owes a 500. They're both forgiven. Which of these two do you think will love and be more grateful? Peter's like, well, I would imagine the one who's been forgiven more. He says, exactly right. Because he who has been forgiven much loves much. And you know what Jesus was doing? He was taking the attention off of this person's worship and he was turning it on to himself. And he was saying, let me cover you. Let me cover you. Let me cover your intentions. Let me cover your motives. And let me be a shield that's around you. Guys, as people that choose to be givers, life givers, ministers, we need the covering of God. I mean, there have been times where I just felt like all hell was being unleashed against me. There were times where I felt like, you know, everything that I was doing was being, was being misinterpreted. And I remember I felt like the Lord was saying, do not defend yourself. Hide yourself under the shadow of my wings and let me cover you. Man, when your parents don't understand what you're posting on Facebook, let God cover you. Let God vindicate you. When your neighbor doesn't understand why every other Friday night, uh, all the streets are lined up on the car, let God cover you. He will open a door for you. He will vindicate you. He will shield you, friend. He is a coverer and we need him to do that for us. Finally, in the last story of Luke chapter five, by the way, go back and read Luke chapter five this week. I think you'll see it all in a new light. But at the end of Luke chapter five, there's a couple of disciples of John and they come and they start having a conversation with Jesus's disciples. And it's just so funny how we like to compare in the Christian world. So the disciples of John go to Jesus' disciples and they're like, why aren't you guys fasting? Like, we're fasting, you should be fasting. <laughs> and so then 
Jesus' disciples are all stirred up. They're like insecure. Now, maybe we should, maybe we should be fasting. Like they said, we should be fasting. We're not fasting. And so then they go to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, like, why aren't we fasting? And Jesus shares this amazing story. And look right here in Luke chapter five, verse 36. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out. The wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And the last thing I wanna leave you with guys this morning is, as as followers of Jesus and people that have chosen to be ministers is that we need to receive a fresh infilling. We need Jesus to fill us. We need him to call us. We need to receive and respond to that. We need him to cleanse us. We need to receive and respond to that. We need him to heal the broken places and make us whole. We need him to cover us. We need that covering of God, but we also need him to fill us. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to make us into new wineskins so that he can pour fresh wine. The wine that you had last season is not sufficient for this season of ministry. The wine that you got at youth camp, the wine that you got last week, the wine that you got a couple of years ago when you were in a high mountaintop season with God, that wine will not sustain you for the challenges of COVID, for the challenges of a political year. It will not sustain you. We need fresh wine. What does that mean? Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Holy Spirit, fill my mind, fill my heart, fill my spirit. I need fresh joy today. I need fresh joy today. I need fresh perspective today. I need fresh grace and fresh strength today. I need fresh bread today. Guys, you are called to step into gaps. You are called to be life in an atmosphere and a culture of death. You are called to be encouragers. You are called to be faith builders. You are called to be hope imparters. You were called to, re, to, to restore people into the image of God and the Imago Dei in which they were created. You were called to pour value out on people. Your words carry weight and life. And in order to do that, we've got to receive from God on a regular basis. Friends, would you join me today as we stand and we come to the table. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.